You're listening to the Outspoken Bible from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Well, welcome to season two of the Outspoken Bible. We had the longest ever season, probably in the history of all seasons, in season one. And we are now back with a new series of podcasts coming to you, hopefully, around about every two weeks. So you can look forward to those uh, arriving in your uh, ears every fortnight or so. Uh, Once again, I'm joined by Jen and Neil. We're still here. We've not been fired. All's well. Hello. Hi, Fiona. Fiona. Nice to to be back. A second season. I've never had a second season before. That's exciting. I'm, I'm enjoying you using this, the season word. Maybe it's become your new word. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here we are. Uh, all the things that we, we highlighted were coming this season. We've got uh, lined up for you. So Neil's going to give us a glovers off shortly. Um, but before that, just a little bit of a word about some of the things that SBS has got on the go. So we have Easter looming. Jen, what have you got available for people? We have Wonder Walks. Wonder Walks can be found on our website, scottish.bible forward slash Wonder Walks, or you can find them on our social media accounts uh, as JPEGs as well. And they're very, very simple ideas. So there's one for every week of Lent, and then there's two for Holy Week, one for Good Friday and one for Easter Sunday. And all you have to do is take this Wonder Walk with you one week of Lent or Easter. And while you're out walking, there's a tiny little bit of Mark's Gospel to read each week. And then usually three things to do, but they're not complicated things. They're really simple things to do. Uh, Maybe yesterday we were looking at the bit where Jesus is baptised in Mark and the wonder walk I did. And we were looking at the birds and thinking that the Holy Spirit came to Jesus as a bird. And when we saw all the birds on our walk, we asked God to help us because the Holy Spirit is our helper. And there's things like that to do, jumping in puddles, creating art that won't last because we're using outdoor stuff. You can do it anywhere. You can walk around the block. You can do it on your way to school. You can do it on the way to the shops. You can go to a local park. You can walk all day or walk just for five minutes. Alistair went on a wonder walk with his children yesterday and he managed to record their walk. So that'll be great to listen to just now. Let's take a bit of a listen to that. So this is Alistair, our producer, and his family out doing their wonder walk. We are going on a little walk. We like to go on walks, don't we? Um, And where do we like to go on walks, Ten hills in the wood. It's going to be a bit different today because we have a map. For what? So this is a different kind of map because it's not telling us where to go, but it's telling us what to do when we get there. That's quite exciting, isn't it? It's for like lots of things. I'm looking forward to using these maps. It's good to have something new to do and a different way to read the Bible with the kids. Then. Our breakfast Bible reading. Should we get your brother out the buggy? Do you want to get out for an adventure? Yep. How you get? Shall we? Shall we have a read? So, can you see? Can you see a number one? Oh yeah. There's a number one. So we start by reading something from the Bible. So this is from the Book of Mark, which is a gospel. That means it's a it's a, a true story by Jesus. Chapter one, verse nine to eleven. It says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. So what we need to do is think about this during our walk. All right, let's go find some water and let's splash in some puddles. Okay, Claire, so where have you brought us that there's some water? Um, the stream. 
stream. Do you think the stream is like the river that Jesus was baptized in? Yeah. Yeah. So how about we we throw some? Shall we throw some sticks into the river and think yeah. about that? Yeah. Right. Let's find some sticks. Can you see the stick? Where's it going? It might have got stuck. I think maybe the river Jesus was baptized in was a bit deeper than this one. What did it mean in the Bible when people got baptized? Who did they belong to? God. And so do, who did Jesus say he belonged to when he got baptized? God. Yeah, we'll find some more sticks. So at the end of our wonder walk, we had lots of fun. It was so fun to chat and read the Bible together in the woods. But I uh, can't wait to do a few more wonder walks over Lent. Can't wait to do a few more. <laughs> You're ruining my recording. Can't wait to do a few more wonder walks. And think about who Jesus is and why that matters to me and why that matters to my children. So thank you very much to Alistair and Clara and the rest of the family for inviting us along on their wonder walk there. That was brilliant. So you can catch up with that, those resources on scottish.bible or by looking at the SBS social media. So thanks for that, Jen and indeed Alistair. Now, it's time for some Glovers Off. Neil, what are you going to tell us about? I want, I want to talk about memory um, because I suppose I'm sure my age go back to the early stages of computing. Remember, Jen and I, you and I had a conversation about this once, about... Um, the way that the wonder of the early computers was being able to see yourself controlling something on a TV. Normally on a TV, it was other people who controlled it. And suddenly you could, what was it, used to play a ping pong game or something like that. Was that right? Yeah. I, I don't know who made who made the machine. That would be helpful to know. It, but it was Atari, it, I and think. And we got one for Christmas in the late Atari. That I think it was the late, maybe 1979. Yeah. And it plugged into the telly. There was a wee line on one side of the screen, a wee line on the other, a line down the middle and a square, which was the ball. And you were able to play tennis against each other or solo tennis if you were really extreme. You were very sports with player. it as a family, Jen. Oh, it was my dad. He was right in there. I was involved in the early days of computing as well. I, I, I Well, it's fair to true, true to say probably I fell a bit in love with it. Um, and I had a, a friend's old a ZX81, which was a computer with touch-sensitive keyboard. And the version I had uh, had a 1K memory. But if you were very lucky and you could get it to work, you could put a 16K, that's 6,000 bytes, um, which has already felt like 16,000 bytes, quite a lot of memory because a byte also has eight bits in it. So that's eight times uh, six, whatever that is, um, of of memory. Um, and we used to treasure that. And it, But if you said to somebody nowadays, or said, sorry, said to someone back then, that we would now have in my phone 128, not just kilobytes not just megabytes i remember the first megabyte computer and we were like wow a megabyte i remember writing to a friend once and said soon they will have one megabyte computers can you believe it it'd be incredible because at that stage you had 512 kilobyte uh, computers the amiga and then a one megabyte and then i remember in our school we had a hard disk drive which was a hundred megabytes it was mrs glenn's hard disk drive and it was like unbelievable and you could run an entire cast so it was a hundred megabytes and then you jump up to 100 megabytes and you get one gigabyte, which is 1,000 million. And my phone, which is right next to me, has got 128 gigabytes in it, which mm -hmm. is, 
which is I, I would need to work it out, but it's probably something like 128 million ZX81s are all piled wow. into that um, into that phone. And I think I think we need to treasure the miracle that that is. That's just incredible how much memory we have. But I also went. I also want to point to our insatiable appetite for memory, our insatiable appetite to preserve, which never quite feels like it's ever going to be satisfied because even if we get to 128 gigabytes, soon we'll be needing more. I've now got a one terabyte hard drive Mm -hmm. on my computer. And this desire for memory, I want to just suggest, is potentially divine. Because if you look at the Psalms, you discover, for example, in Psalm 56, that God, whose preferred mode of memory, at least in the language of the Psalms, is the book, uh, records every tear that is ever shed. Or in Psalm 139, every day that every human life has ever lived is acquired and, and stored in the memory of God in a book. And I think what we're also dealing with with Mark is the desire to preserve memory there is something about the past which is even more when we hold on to it whether in zx81 or in a phone with 128 gigs or in this ancient ancient document which is the memory of a story which has completely changed us well i i just want to talk about this all morning but we don't have time so many things to talk about and very resonant there's a lot of people talking to me at the moment about how they're preserving their experiences of the last year and the pandemic Mm. and Mm. you know it's a question isn't it of memory and and when things become set when they move back into the the kind of long-term memory and how we make sense of things so interesting it's one of my favorite verses that the the tears in the yeah yeah tears in the bottles but it's really really helpful when you're in any place of suffering isn't it Thanks, Neil. Could I say something about memory? I know you don't want to go on about it. No, 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 I do. That's the problem. (laughs) We discovered when my mother-in-law was diagnosed with dementia, I discovered really for the first time that it's memory that makes makes us able to function in the present. Mm -hmm. So her dementia, her memory loss meant that she could no longer do, do simple tasks. And and I'm and I suppose maybe that's obvious to people, but it, it really struck us as a family. So without memory, you don't turn off the gas. Without memory, yeah, you don't know how to get home. Without memory, you can't tell the time. Without memory, you don't know where you are in time and space. So memory is is much bigger, I think, than we mm-hmm. we sometimes glibly talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's essential to our well being. And, and John Swinton, who's a wonderful writer on um, the, the the gospel and, and disability, he wrote a book called The Body of Christ Has Down Syndrome. And he wrote a book recently about, um, a, about dementia. I think he called it Living in God's Time. Mm. And he painted a picture of which for me was quite revolutionary. He says that as we grow older, the memory of who we are, we make a mistake if we think it's just inside my cranium, that the memory of who I am is not just held there, but it is also held in all the people around me who love me. Mm. And then Mm. when I have dementia, suddenly it's that memory of who I am 
that becomes more and more important and I have to rely on as other people tell me what I love and where I come from and what my name is and what food I enjoy the memory of who I am is also preserved for me by others and then given Mm. back to me as a gift Today we're we're thinking about Mark chapter one. I I, I have to say in advance of this, it was actually really nice to read a whole chapter mm. rather than uh, diverse verses. Actually, so I guess the first question is just how how we got on with beginning this Gospel of Mark. I, I'm always reminded of a quote from Jimmy Reed, the old socialist firebrand, who once said that if Jesus didn't exist, then I would have to worship the man who invented him. Mm. and obviously I don't think that Mark invented Jesus but there is something about the genius of the storytelling I, I just, I, it just stuns me again that how deceptively simple Mark is Mark mm-hmm. was, was written off for many years in the history of the church um, people, you know, every, every church father and it was church fathers mainly um, who wanted to do something, they all headed straight off to John and wrote large treatises on John. And Mark was the one that came first. And Luke is, is, is you know, the famous stories. But Mark was often written off. A, a Bach, as well as writing a St. Matthew's Passion and a St. John's Passion, did actually write a St. Mark's Passion. I didn't know that. But uh, nobody knows where it is because it was never played. So it wasn't <gasps> preserved because it wasn't used in the, 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 the church's year. So it's a neglected gospel, but it, it's just transformative and and utterly it just hits you um mm-hmm. i was reminded again the story of jürgen moltmann the great german thinker um uh, about christian faith who um famously was an well i think pretty much an atheist uh, fought in the second world war was captured and uh, was taken to a prison camp in firstly in belgium and then in kilmarnock and um it, he was shown pictures of um they, what they would do is they would put up pictures of the concentration camps to shame the German prisoners, saying, this is what you did. And and Jürgen Moltmann sh- spoke of this deep, deep sense of shame about being German and having fought for a regime which had done these terrible things. But he, he was given a, a, a copy of the Bible. I think it might even be New Testament and Psalms by a British army chaplain. And he was utterly transformed by the reading of Mark. Mm-hmm. It totally hit him. And in particular, the verse later on in the Bible where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He identified that with the deep sense of shame that he felt uh, for what Germany had done. And it totally transformed him. And uh, I, I got a hint again of that that impact of Mark's gospel again as uh, we read it. Something incredible has happened in the world and Mark is going to tell us the story. Jen, you, you were saying on our advanced chat that um, you were struck by the weirdness of Jesus. So we've got the immediacy of the story and that that yeah. that cutting to the chase of things. I think I think I actually got the message wrong. It was the weirdness of John. But actually, I think the whole first few verses of the first chapter are quite weird if you haven't read the Bible before or you know, you don't you don't know much about um Judaism or the Bible. Um We've been re- I'm reading Mark's Gospel with our youth group at my home church just now. We're using the Scottish Bible Society version of Mark's Gospel, which again you'll find on our website, which is a lovely contemporary 
magazine style, but that's that's slightly irrelevant. But I was struck when I was reading it with these young people. Not not that I'm putting them as being having less experience than me. Some of them got lots of experience of reading the Bible. But the first few lines are really quite strange. You know, like who is the Messiah? Who is Isaiah the prophet? What is this? These words that he's plucked out of Isaiah. What does that mean? And then you get this guy in the desert who's eating insects, wearing uh, camel hair, and just being really peculiar. And then, I, I, so there was that kind of mm-hmm. wondering about that kind of stuff. But then also the actual, that John was, he was strange. He was unusual. He didn't fit into his culture. But everybody's coming out to the, the river to be baptized yeah. by him. There's a, there's a draw from God on their lives. And I was struck by myself that I, I don't know about anybody else, but I try very hard to be normal. I don't try to be normal. I think I just am normal. And I think there's a, <laughs> a thing in the Christian church that we, we're, just, we're just normal, but we follow Jesus. But John wasn't normal mm-hmm. and he wasn't trying mm-hmm. to be normal. He was totally yes. weird. And mm-hmm. my son, Andrew, before he went to Bolivia, did say to me, maybe we all need to be a bit more weird because what we believe is pretty yeah. weird. And I, I don't mean to be weird yeah. in the sense that you're just trying to be odd, but we, we do believe in credible things. And sometimes do I try too hard just to fit in? Maybe maybe that's the real question. It makes me think about, um, I don't remember where I heard this over the weekend, but somebody's talking about the millennial generation mm-hmm. and how there's the real search for authenticity yeah. and, and integrity. And they yeah. don't see that necessarily in our generation to our shame hmm. as people in the generation X or whatever we are. But I wonder if there's something in that, isn't there? That, that maybe it's time to call out the weirdness. And not be weird, you mean? No, and be weird. Be weird. Be weird. I wonder if some yeah. of the inauthenticity has been about the church or, or our generation trying to fit with strategies and ways of being that, that are actually quite worldly ways of being. Mm-hmm. I, I think, well, I'm trying to make a link here. So one one of the, the, the strong views of, of Mark is one of the strong debates about where was it written. And the kind of leading contender is, is Rome, round about the persecution of Nero, where the, the Christians were, were blamed for um, the, the burning down of a particular part of Rome, which um, there is some speculation that it was deliberately burned down because people wanted to rebuild houses, but they, they blamed the Christians. And there was this wave, a horrendous persecution that was visited on the Christians. And Mark comes out of that out of that a uh, that suffering but 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 um regardless of whether it was there or north africa there is a sense that the christians are different mm-hmm. and 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 are called to be and perhaps an iconic moment is um the moment where peter is confronted later on at the fire where jesus has um been under arrest and peter's confronted and asked the question is he um, prepared to identify with with Jesus and be different. That strangeness, that weirdness that you're talking about, um, or or it, will he conform? And of course, he does in that moment conform. But the the gospel is probably written in the memory of the fact that later on Peter learned how not to do that mm-hmm. and, and took a stand. Um, uh, not just Peter, but Paul, who Peter and Paul were were killed within a very short period of time of it same period of time as each other and in the same city um so there is something about that strangeness and being willing we often say oh it's good to be weird it's good to be different but i think mark's quite honest that that brings a cost to it mm-hmm. uh and and is very very honest about what that is but yes it comes right at the beginning with with john who later on of course um will be killed because he refuses to fit in mm-hmm 
We've touched on this before, haven't we? But one of the questions I had reading through the chapter was partly because this morning in my devotional reading, I was reading the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the, the the moment when the disciples fall asleep and they, they can't even watch and pray. Um, and I was reflecting the fact that uh, if you were to, to analyse Jesus' discipleship programme, his three-year discipleship programme, I wonder if you would mark it as a success or a failure mm-hmm. in that when it comes to the crunch moment three years on, actually they don't seem to have learned that that yeah. what we read in um in verse 35 that you know early in the morning while it's still dark jesus got up left the house went to solitary place praise and he prayed they must have seen him doing that for three years they must have known that was what they were being called into and yet somehow when the when the moment comes they're not they're not no, following they're through not. And so my question is just about you know how we measure things i suppose yeah yeah it's it's but, yeah. so yeah it's seemingly fails doesn't it it's not the great success and therefore you know with these discipleship programs we're tempted to try and measure them how, mm. how would you measure i mean them? usually within nine months you know you don't even yeah, get yeah. three years to measure a discipleship program <laughs> i mean i, I am kind yeah. of jealous of them that they get that sort of time where they go where we'll go today let's just go to capernaum you know there's no schedule there's no, <laughs> no that's right <laughs> but there's something the call to follow mm-hmm interesting back to the wonder walks that we mentioned at the start so yesterday Mm -hmm. I was in a wonder walk with friends and one of the things we were to do in the wonder walk was to do something with water stand in a puddle you know so there was lots of water pouring down this path that we were walking on and so we stood in the water and 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 the water passed around our feet like it it was flowing and the wee bit from Mark was uh, the disciples being asked to follow Jesus while they were standing beside the lake I think I think that's the no 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 it wasn't sorry it was the, it was the baptism that's what we're thinking about that's next week's wonder book it was about the baptism and the water and that's setting the people apart and a sign that you're following God so as we stood there I just said to, and there was younger people with me and older people and I, I I just said well I wonder what water's got to do with following Jesus and somebody said um this is this is all within regulations by the way that we were allowed to be together which is one other adult and some children uh, somebody said oh because the water's uh, going the way it's meant to go, and and that's what we do when we follow God. Now, I hadn't really thought about, I hadn't thought uh-huh. about that before, and that that sense that you know, how important it is to have these conversations about the Bible mm-hmm. because we all bring a different perspective. But that sense that here's here's Jesus being baptized, here's the disciples being asked to follow, and they're being called to go the way they're meant to go. But that that isn't mm-hmm. a call to success or always getting it right or never having mm-hmm. doubts again or never struggling again it's a call to follow which is different from mm-hmm. being called to become a successful christian which is maybe sometimes how yeah. we see and it. it's and it's a lifelong it's a lifelong process it's yeah. it's not a three-year measurable process mm-hmm. i love mm-hmm. that picture the water yeah, I mean, i'm good, looking I'm looking cool. out on a flood as i <laughs> as i seek mm-hmm. and I, you know the idea of the water being called to go the way that it's meant to go and the, the the floods that I look at, you know, these are all ancient channels that the, that's there to, for the water to act as a break um, to go into. Can, can we say something about a gospel Evangelion? Hmm. Is that all right? Just at the start, because yeah. that's that's how. That's how John announces it. Yeah, mm. the, the beginning of the good news. And I think sometimes we reduce that word gospel into, into substitutionary, what's sometimes called substitutionary atonement, the, the idea that, that um, 
that Jesus dies in our stead in order that we be saved. Now, I totally would die for that truth. I have preached it a million times. I am, I'm not wanting anything I say here to sound like a diminishment of that. But Mark has an even bigger understanding of the word gospel mm-hmm. than, than that part of the gospel, which we rightly enjoy and preach and, and allow to transform us. And for him, certainly here, it is the announcement that the word literally means good news. It's a transformative piece of good news. Something has happened in the world which completely changes the way that we are. And it happened um, for Mark's readers, it probably happened about 30 years ago. It happened in a country that many of them had never visited, although probably many of them knew a lot about because many of them might have been Jews. Um, and a, it, it completely changes everything. So it sets it sets up the whole narrative, mm-hmm. doesn't it? It sets up yeah. the whole flow of what's about about to come. Yeah. And can can I delve a wee bit into it? So so we see the baptism. I, I have always I always love to think about why is it that Jesus is baptized. Mm-hmm. I have questions around that, so maybe we can touch a bit on that. But also, I'd like us to talk a bit about the wilderness experience. So we have this yeah. quite strange se- sequence of events, don't we? So there's a there's a prominence, there's an announcement of this is who this is. There's the beginning of a ministry, and then straight away it says that the Holy Spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted. Um, and there's an interesting question there about when God puts us into the place of temptation, allows that to happen, what's what's happening with that? But also, it, it is in some ways a weird way to start a ministry, isn't it? To suddenly be swept away into the wilderness, wilderness experience. So can we touch on baptism first of all? Uh-huh. It's not weird. Well, first of all, it's, it's worth saying that, that Mark you know, plunges us into this moment. So we, we've got this structure. We've got this prologue. This is what's happened according to the prophet Isaiah. It's this behind-the-scenes look. It's like a play where uh, dramatists would begin with a prologue, setting the scene and taking us behind the scenes. And then in um, a Mark chapter 4, probably we go straight into the action. You could argue it's in Mark 9. But what I think both things are happening there are less surprising if we remember that what Jesus is doing is um, he is embodying the story of the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so suddenly in one man, all this history and all these people mm-hmm. are somehow condensed into the very story of God. So where does the, the story of Israel begin? Well, it begins in, in Genesis and mm-hmm. of, of newness coming out of the waters. So you've got baptism or in Exodus where Moses is drawn out of the waters or when the people of Israel cross the Red Sea and are drawn out of the waters. So the idea of being drawn out of the waters to begin a, to begin something utterly yeah. new is a very Israelite Jewish way of seeing the world. And then what happens after you're drawn out in the waters? Well, in the Exodus, you spend 40 years in the wilderness. Yeah. What does Jesus do? He spends 40 days in the wilderness. And who's he with? He's with the animals. And who else was with the animals? Oh, Adam was with the animals. So there's all sorts of resonances here. But Jesus is embodying, the. this is how God does things, drawing things out of water and sending people off into the wilderness. That This is how something new happens in 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 god's story is there something of identity as well is there something of identifying with with us in in our sinfulness and in our in our fallenness i I love that jesus is there amongst these crowds of people coming out to john like he's not standing up on a mountain saying hey over here (laughs) i'm the messiah (laughs) he comes with the people to the same place that they are going to find their healing, their restoration. And then as he goes into the water, doing what they've all done and what they're all all going to do, 
his difference is shown. So it's also the same with Jesus, isn't it? That his total humanity and his total divinity is so, is completely blended together. So here he is uh-huh. with the people doing the same thing, but then uh, the clouds are ripped apart, the dove appears, the voice is heard, this is my son. And then as he goes off into the wilderness, you know, I mean, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, to not to eat for 40 days is incomprehensible. I I, I, I think that's quite mm. in, very in unhuman like mm-hmm. inhuman i mean i think the yeah. longest people survive without food is 21 or days or something but there's a sense that as he goes to the wilderness again we we often in our lives find ourselves in those wilderness moments if we want to call them them or times of isolation or a uh, difficulty or hardship or f- facing death which i'm sure jesus must have felt in, in that length of time in the situ- in the wilderness so it's full of identification, I think, to answer your question, Fiona, uh, of identification with us mm-hmm. as humans. And that's what he's come to do, of course. He's come to be with us. His incarnation didn't stop in the manger. It began. Just there's a lovely um, poem as well that I read uh, just recently by the poet Jan Richardson about that moment of, of identification because, it, of course, what else happens in that moment is Jesus hears that he's beloved. And uh, Jan Richardson uh, writes a poem. I'll just quote the start of it. She says, Beloved is where we begin. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Mm, Do not leave without hearing who you are, beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not let it go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. This is what the journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you on this path, there will be help. I can tell you on this way, there will be rest. Beloved, beloved, beloved. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. So then... We're in the wilderness now. Now, what we've I think already established is this: this is a particular, unique circumstance. But nonetheless, I, what do we learn about the the experience of wilderness? Jen, you had some thoughts on that, I think. Yeah, I'm, I suppose it's kind of similar to what we've talked to quite recently in our podcast. That in the time of difficulty and brokenness in what we sometimes see as a gap in living. I mean, you could compare lockdown to to that or other things we go through personally or politically or culturally. Um, it's in those moments that we discover, God, we discover God more. Not that we would seek those moments out or we would ask God to give us those moments. I, I'm definitely not saying that. But in those moments that are part of life, I, there's an opportunity to to connect with God. Um, but I, I'm not, for some people though, those moments will be the moment that disconnects them from God. And I'm not putting, I'm not saying, mm-hmm. well, if you manage to connect with God in the suffering, then you're a better person. But I suppose it's our perception of those moments and saying to God, when they come, when I'm in them, can, can you please God just show me what, what how you want to mould me and shape me in this mm-hmm. circumstance? How can I, I mean, Jesus... You know, Jesus used God's words. It's not really recounted in in this version of the of the desert experience, is it? But Jesus used God's words to mm-hmm. get him through. And and I suppose the times in our lives that are blessed or good or or feel you know everything's going okay, we we need these kind of moments like we do in the podcast, talking about the Bible, having the Bible in our minds, um, 
uh, wondering about who God is and how how he loves us and just hearing Neil saying that beloved 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 I need to hear that now mm -hmm. so that will resonate me with me in the times to come which will come again of 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 deep distress yeah that's so true and it's you know you're saying Jen there that people wonder about whether that's part of the life of being a Christian what what's really curious here is that Jesus is literally in the in the Greek. It's he's thrown out. It's the same mm. word that gets used of exorcism later on. He, Jesus is thrown out by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mm. This is a this is almost a violent image, mm. but of, of being placed there. And for those of us who find ourselves in times of wilderness, and I, I think it is okay to draw that parallel with with lockdown when we're when we're so cut off from so much that has often sustained us mm -hmm. that we are we are thrown there in this case, corporately. And, and in that place, something vital happens that prepares us for what's to come. I'm thinking about how we help one another in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and how we, because what we're saying is, is that, because I, I think there's a bit of a danger that we begin to try and shield people. Hmm. And if the last year has taught us something, it's that you, we can't actually ever shield ourselves totally, can we? Hmm. Try as we might. So, so therefore, it's not about how we shield one another, but it's about how we enforce with one another we really know that we are beloved and yeah. it, both in how we relate to God himself but also I think how we relate to one another that mm. surely the community of God's people it should be that community of the mm. beloved mm -hmm. preparation we're preparing preparation for the yeah because Jesus I'm just struck how I had never really thought this before how Jesus needed to hear those words mm -hmm. you're my son and I love you I'm very pleased with you Mm -hmm. before he, he headed off into mm -hmm. the wilderness. And I was thinking yesterday again in the Wonder Walk about those, the words, I'm very pleased with you. And I was reflecting on my love for my children and how sometimes my children, I think, and I'm sure they'll correct me when they hear this, they think my love is to do with their behaviour. Uh -huh. and, and it is not connected to the behaviour. <laughs> my love for them is because they are beloved. Uh -huh. And they're them and they're mine. Um, and yes, I'll do things and they'll do things that upset each other and we would we would wish for other behaviours, but that that is not what causes the love. And we need to know that from God, don't we? And that, that brings me back round to the to the <laughs> thing about discipleship, doesn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. What did Peter need to hear in John mm. 21? He needed to hear, yeah, well, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah. Which And the, and, and the, the subtext of that is because I love you. Mm isn't it yeah so there maybe needs to be that constant reminder mm. of mm. of where we sit within mm. within our um discipleship journey i suppose good point to leave it a couple of sentences on your takeaway from having read this through i just want to i want to read mark better and, and I'm just uh -huh. so glad I'm, I'm we're reading it with I'm reading it with young people, um, and if you get an opportunity to do that, do it or read it with someone or you know give some get a friend and ask them to read it and have a chat about it. You know this this what we do here isn't unique to us. Yeah. We can all do that. Neil, what's your takeaway? It was the image that Jen had about the water flowing where it needs to go, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, and that that mm -hmm. that Jesus going where Jesus needs to go. And the That's disciples good. going where they need to go <laughs> with them. 
I actually, and, and Jen, it was something you said, well, something both of you said actually about the, the wilderness and the expulsion into the world mm. wilderness. I want to go away and think about yeah. that a bit more. And I like that as a writing task. I have a, I also have a writing group, so we might copy that. I might join your writing group. Yeah. Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both very much for that. That was fantastic. Uh, next time, as I say, we, we are planning to be speaking about chapter two through to chapter nine. Um, but again, we're open to the will of the people. So if people come back saying, no, we would really like you to plunge deeply into uh, the waters of chapter two, then we would also look at that. Uh, that'll be coming in a fortnight's time. What an absolute treat to hang out with you. Thank you very much again. And uh, join us next time. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to check out some of those resources available on scottish.bible. Bye-bye. <laughs>